Good morning to everyone who's joining us online as well. Uh, my name is Andrew Philbeck. I am in charge of the home groups here at Mount Pleasant. And I'm glad that I get to be here with you again today as we wrap up our There's Hope for You series. Uh, so far in this series, we've talked about the fact that there's hope for you when you need help. There's hope for you when you feel forgotten. There's hope for you when you failed. And today we're going to close things out by talking about the fact that there's hope for you when you feel uncertain about tomorrow. And I'm always looking for a good illustration or a good example or, or just, you know, anything that I can use to help me communicate, you know, more effectively or to make the sermon, uh, uh, I don't know, more uh, appealing in some way. And as I was thinking about that a couple of weeks ago, putting this message together and thinking about uncertainty, I remembered something that I had heard of before called the uncertainty principle. And I thought, you know, well, an uncertainty principle, maybe I can use something with this. Maybe this is an illustration, you know, in there somewhere that I can, I can use. And so I Googled it. I read a little bit about it. I, I learned that, you know, it's called the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. It's named after a German physicist. I watched a YouTube video and listen to them talk about quantum physics and particles and waves and, you know, all sorts of really interesting stuff. And then I opened up a new web browser and I typed in the Heisenberg uncertainty principle for dummies. Um, it, my idea didn't exactly work out the way that I hoped it would, uh, but it was a good story nonetheless, I think. Uh, but at the same time, you know, here's the deal. I don't think that I need to go into a lot of great detail or explanation uh, when it comes to uncertainty, because I think we all know what it's like to feel uncertain. And this has really been a defining characteristic of this entire series. You know, the fact that we can all relate to these things uh, in one way or another. Maybe we relate to some more than others, but on one level or another, we all know what it's like to need help. We all know what it's like to feel forgotten. We all know what it's like to fail, and we all know what it's like to feel uncertain about our future. And it's an interesting thing because, you know, the truth is we can't know. We can feel uncertain about tomorrow, but we can't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I would even say that we are not supposed to know what will happen tomorrow. Listen to these uh, words from James chapter 4. He says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I mean, Jesus himself reminds us of this during the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I read those passages and I think, you know, well, what, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to feel about all of this? Because, you know, you can look at them and you can say, well, this doesn't seem very appealing because on the one hand, God is telling us, you know, don't worry about tomorrow because you might not even get it tomorrow. And then on top of that, he's also telling us, you know, don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough trouble of its own. That's what verse 34 says. So how are we supposed to have hope in the face of those realities? Well, I'm going to try and talk to you about that this morning, and I'm going to do it by looking at a particularly uncertain time in the life of King David. Now, I know that Chad talked about David last weekend when we talked about the fact that there's hope for you when you have failed, and I promise I'm not just trying to pile it on David by looking at him again this weekend. But something happens in David's life during his reign that throws 
all of the certainty that he has out of the window, at least for a time. And so what we're going to do together is I'm going to read a passage from 2 Samuel. You don't have to turn there this morning or anything like that, but I'm going to read a passage from 2 Samuel, and it's going to kind of, um, you know, set the tone for our, I don't want to say true text, but our main text in Psalm chapter 3. Uh, Because what we see in 2 Samuel sets up what David writes later on in the Psalms. And so I'm just going to read this, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about it so that we can all have a proper understanding of just what exactly is going on in David's life. This is what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 15. He says, A messenger came and told David, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. The king's officials answered him, your servants are ready to do whatever our Lord the king chooses. The king set out with his entire household following him, but he left 10 concubines to take care of the palace. So the king set out with all the people following him and they halted at a place some distance away. Now I'm going to try and explain what's happening here without taking too much time, but I also can't just assume that everyone knows all the facts about David's life. And so here's the deal. Here's the main thing we need to understand in regards to this passage, in regards to what we're going to read about later in Psalm chapter 3. David was not a great father. David was not a great father. And I'm not trying to be overly harsh with him this morning when I say that, but it's the easiest way that I can say it. We know that he was a great man. We know that he was a man after God's own heart, and we love David, and we should. We should admire him, even though we spent last week talking about a huge failing on his part. But the reality is that he was not a great father, and while there's more than one place in Scripture I think that we can look at to kind of talk about that, this is where we're going to spend our time today, because what has happened is Absalom, who is one of David's sons, has just led a revolt against his father, and David has to flee for his life. Now, there's a whole backstory that leads up to this, and it's basically just a terrible family soap opera, because what you have is one of David's other sons, a man named Amnon, he rapes his half-sister, a woman named Tamar, and then Absalom murders Amnon and then runs away. And years after all this has happened, he's returned to Jerusalem. David kind of keeps him at arm's length for a little while. But Absalom doesn't come there with the best of intentions because what happens is, is, you know, one way or another, whether it's because David is growing older, whether it's because of just some of the responsibilities of being king, uh, one way or another, Absalom begins to take advantage of David's absence in the daily life of the kingdom. And so he ingratiates himself to the people of Jerusalem. They like him. He's handsome. He says all the right things. He shakes all the right hands, and they begin to follow him. And this was all part of a plan on his part, all part of a conspiracy to overthrow his father and declare himself king. That's why when the messenger comes to David, he knows that they have to run for their lives. And so this is where we find David today. At a point in his life where one of his sons has risen up against him, the men of Israel, his men, have turned against him and joined with his son. He's fleeing Jerusalem because he knows it's the only hope that he has. David 
was uncertain about tomorrow. He was uncertain about tomorrow. He was uncertain about where he would live, whether or not he would live, uncertain about his authority as the king, his power. He was uncertain about his family. He was uncertain about everything. And in the midst of this uncertainty, he writes Psalm chapter 3. You can go ahead and turn there this morning uh, if you haven't already done so. This is our main text. This is where we're going to spend our time and we're going to draw out some truths, some hope that we can all take to heart when we feel uncertain about tomorrow. I know it took us a little bit of time. We kind of got here in a, uh, a roundabout way, but I wanted everyone to be able to appreciate, at least on some level, why we're talking about this and why I'm saying that David was feeling so uncertain at this time in his life. So I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, if you would please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Now that we know what's going on in David's life, now that we know the reality that he is experiencing, I want to read Psalm chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's only eight verses long. He writes, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people." You may be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. David knew what it was like to feel uncertain about tomorrow. For all that he has experienced, all of the victories that he has had in his life, all of the great things that he has accomplished as king, he still knows what it's like to feel uncertain about tomorrow. And I think it's important for us to talk about what this means and why we need to understand that we can have hope even when we feel this way. Because, you know, on the one hand, it's not really a profound statement for me to stand up here and say that we have uncertainty about tomorrow. Because the truth is we all know that we can't know what will happen tomorrow. I mean, we have plans. I'm sure you have plans for tomorrow. But at the same time, we recognize that plans change. We recognize that we don't actually know what will happen. I mean, I look at the weather app on my smartphone pretty much every day, and it tells me what the weather is going to be like. But you know what? I don't trust that thing for a second. And you probably don't either, because the truth is that we just can't know for sure. So because of that, what I want you to understand is that what I'm, I'm talking about this morning, what we're trying to address in our time together is not just the simple fact that we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but we're trying to address the, the fear and the anxiety that comes with uncertainty, an overwhelming uncertainty for tomorrow. Uncertainty about a procedure, uncertainty about a meeting, uncertainty about some kind of conflict that you've been avoiding but you know that you have to deal with. I'm talking about the kind of uncertainty that keeps us up at night, that affects our diet, that, that changes who we are. 
And, you know, I feel like there are two kinds of people in this world when it comes to dealing with uncertainty. On the one hand, you have the people who say, well, you know what? I can't control anything anyway, so why worry about it? Why worry about it? And then on the other side, you have the people who say, well, the reason that I'm worried is because I can't control anything because I have so much uncertainty. And I don't know where you fall on those uh, two categories this morning, but one of the things that I see more often than not is that one of those types usually seems to be married to the other type, and that tends to make things interesting. I know that's at least the way that it is in my house. But regardless of your attitude, regardless of how you handle uncertainty or anything like that, I do believe that this is an issue that we all deal with at times in our lives. And because of the context of this psalm, we know that David was dealing with this. And I'm going to use what we see here in these eight verses to try and give us some some steps that we can take uh, so that we can have hope in the face of uncertainty, so that we can have hope even when we are afraid, even when we are anxious, even when we are overwhelmed with the future. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down next to number one. The first thing that we should do when we feel uncertain about tomorrow is pray. Pray. Now, I don't feel like this should be a real shock to anyone this morning, especially if you were here a couple of weeks ago uh, when I preached because I talked about the fact that I would pretty much talk about prayer every single time I got the chance to speak in this series. You know, what does David do? What does David do after he runs for his life during this revolution, during this uprising within his own kingdom led by his own son? He prays. He prays. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this first point because I did talk about it um, a lot the last time that I preached. And honestly, we have been talking about prayer a lot recently at Mount Pleasant. That's not a bad thing at all. But I do want to be mindful of that. So uh, one question that I'm going to answer, why does David pray? Why does David pray? Well, I think that there are a lot of answers that we could give to this question, but I'm just going to highlight two. Uh, why does David pray? Well, he prays because he knows he needs God's help. He knows he needs God's help. He is running for his life. He is uncertain about his future. He doesn't know what will happen next, but he prays because he knows he needs God's help. I mean, I think that all families are dysfunctional in one way or another. I know this is something that my father has talked about from the stage, uh, well, multiple times over the years here, just the reality of uh, family life and the dysfunction that families have. And I think this is true in our world today. We know that it was true back when David reigned and all throughout history, it has been that way. And because of that, I think it adds to the weight, adds to the uncertainty that David is experiencing because it's coming from within his own family, a place that, you know, we would think, at least on paper, was supposed to be a source of security and peace. And so he prays because he knows he needs God's help. He also prays because God is his hope. He prays because God is his hope. Now, I think this is an important thing for us to uh, at least think about for a moment because I think that there's a difference between praying to God for hope and God being our hope. And I hope you understand what I mean when I say that this morning. There's a difference between 
praying to God for hope and God being our hope. God was David's hope. But before we really address that, we have to think about the fact that the truth is we put our hope in a lot of things. I don't know what you typically put your hope in this morning. I don't know what, where you find yourself doing that uh, in your own life. You know, maybe you put your hope in your own abilities. Maybe you put your hope in your finances, some kind of security. Maybe you put your hope in, in the love of your spouse and your children, a good doctor's report, a good job, you know, any number of those things. We all put our hope in things at times. And I don't believe that it was any different for David. And I think this is an important thing for us to recognize because, you know, David probably for a long time uh, put his hope in his power. He's the king. He's God's chosen king. He put his hope in his, his ability as a, a military commander. We know that David experienced great military victories. You know, maybe he put his hope in his family. You know, David knew what it was like to be picked on, to be looked down on by his brothers and all of that when he was growing up. So maybe he thought, I'm going to do better. But then you look at his life right now and what he's experiencing, and you have to just kind of cross all those things off the list. Is he really the king even anymore since he's running for his life? Probably shouldn't put his hope in that. Probably shouldn't put his hope in his family anymore since this coup, this uprising has happened because of one of his own sons. And, you know, as far as military victories go, fleeing for your life is not really high up there on something that you want to put your hope in. And so he puts his hope in God. And I think that this is, is, is really valuable because even though we know David does this, we also see that he's hearing voices from the outside basically telling him, that he shouldn't even do that. You know, what does is, what is he write in, in verse 2? He says, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. So David knows. David knows that the people are saying, you know what? God's not going to come through for him this time. Yeah, David experienced some great victories early on. David did some great things. But that's all over now. You know, you could kind of think of it like this. If you want to try to put yourself in their shoes, you think, well, you know, who was the king before David? It was a man named Saul. Well, Saul actually started out as a good king, but then he sinned. And because he sinned, God left him. Well, what's David's story? David's a king now. He started out as a good king, a great king. But, you know, has David sinned? And so the people start to think, well, maybe God's leaving David too. Maybe it's time for us to join in with someone else. And even though this had to bother him, it had to gnaw at him, it doesn't stop him from recognizing the fact that God is his hope. He needs help because he's surrounded by uncertainty, uncertainty when it comes to his family, his authority, all of the people telling him that God is no longer with him. But he knows that his hope is not found in his family or his victories or his crown or anything like that. He knows that his hope is God. So when you feel uncertain about tomorrow, you should pray. And you might even think, you know, well, why? Why do I need to pray? That might give you some clarity on what you should pray for and what you should pray about. And the second thing that we need to do when we feel uncertain about tomorrow so that we can have hope is to take stock. Take stock. You can write that down next to number two in your handout. And here's what I mean when I say this. We need to take stock of our lives 
and the things that we are certain of. And this is important because it's not just trying to think positively. It's not just trying to have some kind of uh, silver lining around things. It's not even just trying to have a different perspective or a different outlook on life. Now, honestly, I believe there is a lot of value in those things. I do think that there is a lot of value and a lot of power in having a positive attitude. I do believe that there is a lot of value in, in on, at least on some level, being able to step outside of your circumstances and see a different perspective on things. But at the same time, we all know that there are times in our lives when we need more than that. We need more than that. I mean, David was at a crossroads here. You know, what's going to happen next? What should I do? How should I act in the middle of this defiance? Where should I go? What is my first step? There are three things that I think we see here in Psalm chapter 3 that I'm going to point out in regard to what we can be certain of, how we can take stock in our lives. And we're actually going to kind of uh, look at them in reverse order because of what he talks about. And so the first one comes from verse 5. Can look at it with me. He says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Well, what's the significance of this? Well, when I read it, I think the significance is that David is able to take stock and remember that God is still on the throne and that God is still ultimately in control. You know, when David fled from Absalom. He knew his life was on the line. He knew there was a chance that he wouldn't make it out alive. He says, we need to leave now because if we don't, he's going to put the city to the sword. So he runs away. He leaves Jerusalem and he goes out into uh, the country. He goes out into a place where he, you know, hopefully can gain more of a following where, where people aren't so in love with Absalom, where he's not quite as popular as he is in the urban areas. But eventually he has to sleep. And when he reflects on this, he acknowledges the fact that whether he is in his city or in the middle of nowhere, whether he is in his own bed or lying on the ground, God is the one who sustains him. God is the one who is control. And, you know, you might think that this is just a very basic truth, and I would agree with you, but I think it's important for us to start here because the reality is if we don't believe that God is in control, then I don't think there's anything else that we can do. I know that sounds bleak, but that's just what I think. You know, if I wake up tomorrow... And for whatever reason, I decide that God is no longer on the throne, that God is no longer in control, that he has no sovereignty in the world, then what hope do I have in the midst of my uncertainty? And remember, because we're not just talking about the reality that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, we're talking about this, this overwhelming uncertainty about tomorrow, the things that we can't control. Because we're talking about these big truths of life, I think the danger is that you move from just feeling uncertain to feeling helpless, to feeling hopeless, to feeling meaningless. And that's not the kind of life that God wants for us. Because that's not the kind of world that God created. We have to understand that God is in control. David is not hopeless because he knows that God is in control, even though he is uncertain about what will happen tomorrow. In verse 4, he writes these words. He says, To the Lord I cry aloud, 
and he answers me from his holy hill. And obviously, we're talking about prayer here again because it's so important. David has certainty that when he prays, God hears him and God answers him. David knows that when he prays, he's not just venting. He's not just getting something off of his chest. When he prays, he cries out to God. But because God is in control, because God is there sustaining everything in the world, David knows that God hears him. But more than just hearing and listening, God answers. Do you believe that God hears you when you pray? Do you believe that God answers your prayers? David believed it. And what I love about this, other than just, you know, the simple truth that it's a wonderful thing, what I love about this when I look at David's life and when I think about David's life is that we can see that David believed this truth when he was a young man gathering smooth stones to fight Goliath. And he believes this truth now as an old man fleeing for his life, running from his own son, in the midst of this revolt. And I hope you see the significance of this because David believes it at the great highs of his life and he believes it at the great lows of his life. And that's something that we should do. That's something that we should be able to do in our lives. And listen, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy because there are times when it doesn't feel like God is in control. We may know that he is, but it doesn't feel like that. I wonder how it felt for David right now. But I love it because regardless of how it felt for him, it didn't change what he believed and it didn't change what he did. Uh, the beginning of verse 3 is the next part that I want to read from Psalm chapter 3. He says these words, But you are a shield around me, O Lord. And I'm going to talk about this, and this is actually going to kind of move us into our third point, but... Before we get there, I want you to recognize, you know, that, that, you know, yes, David knew that God was in control. He knew that God heard his prayers. He knew that God answered his prayers, but he also knew that God was a shield around him. And this is an important thing for us to talk about because, honestly, I think it's one of the most difficult things for us to take hold of. You know, when we think of something uh, that is a shield, especially a shield around us, we think that it's something that is supposed to protect us. And at least I know in my own life, when I think about God protecting me, I think about God, uh, you know, keeping bad things from happening to me. But that's just not the reality of life, is it? Matthew chapter 5, verse 45 says this, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, excuse me, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I'll be completely candid with you this morning. I don't like this verse from Matthew chapter 5. It doesn't mean that I don't understand it. It doesn't mean that I don't believe it or that I don't recognize the value and the growth that comes by going through difficult times. But, you know, honestly, there's a big part of me that just doesn't like it. You know, I want God to keep bad things from happening to me and my family. I don't think that's a crazy thing for me to say this morning. I don't know anyone who just wants bad things to happen to them or the people that they care about. And the truth is there are times when it doesn't feel like God is much of a shield around us. I don't know if there's anyone else here today who has felt like that. 
But because we know that he sustains us, we know that he listens to us and answers us, we can trust that he also protects us, even if we don't understand it. And sometimes we want that understanding so badly because we are so uncertain about what we're going through and what tomorrow holds. I want you to listen to this quote from a French priest in the 1800s. His name, uh, I think, and I don't say it like that because I don't know what it is. It's because I don't know how to pronounce it, is uh, Jacques-Marie-Louis Monsabre. Sorry about that. But this is what he said. He said, if God conceded me his omnipotence for 24 hours, I would make many changes in the world. But I know that if he gave me his wisdom too, I would leave things as they are. I think that's a powerful statement. It's a powerful thing for us to think about, especially when we are grappling with uncertainty in our lives and in our futures. Number three, what should we do when we are uncertain about tomorrow? We should step in faith. We should step in faith. And I told you that verse three uh, kind of leads into this, or excuse, yeah, what we read in verse three, excuse me, leads into this third point, you know, this, this reality that God is a shield around us. And here's what I mean when I say that. If you were a soldier at the time that David reigned, or even honestly for years later, you had a shield. You had a shield that you could carry with you into battle. But the reality is this shield would only have value for you if you were moving forward, if you were following your commander. If you have your shield and you have your sword and you're standing in line with the other soldiers, uh, but you look out on the field and you see the enemy standing in front of you and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with fear and so you turn and run, what good is that shield now? What good is that shield? And listen, I understand and I hope you understand that there is so much trust involved here. There's so much faith here because you know that even if you are faithful and even if you do follow God into battle, you know, for the sake of this illustration, that doesn't mean that you won't or that you can't get hurt. But do you trust that even if you do get hurt, or maybe I should say even when you do get hurt, do you trust that your shield, God, is still protecting you. I mean, I've already said, but I know, I know that there are times in life when it doesn't feel like it. But I just want to ask you a question. Where do you have more protection in your life? With a shield or without one? Where can you find more peace and guidance when you are uncertain about tomorrow? Where can you find hope when you're uncertain about tomorrow? In your own life? or by leaning on the God who loves you and cares for you. And even though it's frustrating at times because we don't understand it all, the God who guides you and the God who guides everything around you. I want to look again at how David brings the psalm to a close. He says, starting in verse 6, I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, O oh my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. David understands, despite the uncertainty tomorrow holds, that he needs to step in faith because God is his deliverer. 
He is the source of his hope. He is his hope. And he is the only one who can grant him victory in this overwhelming situation that he is in. The reality for us is the same reality that David faced. And it's the simple truth that we can only move forward in our lives. We can only go in one direction. Each day that we live leads into another and another and another. And even though at times we do have to deal with great uncertainty, overwhelming uncertainty, the reality is the only way that we can deal with that, the only way that we can have hope in the face of that is if we step forward into each new day with the faith, with the trust that moving forward with God is better than trying to move anywhere else without Him. We have to step in faith because tomorrow is going to come, whether we like it or not, one way or another. And how are we going to face it? I want to go back and I want to read the beginning, or excuse me, I want to read, uh, reread the passages that we looked at at the beginning of this message because if you're familiar with them, then you know I left out some parts that have value. James chapter 4, this time I'm going to read verses 13 through 15. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 and 34, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When we are uncertain about tomorrow, we need to understand that God is the one who wills and allows everything we experience. And when we seek Him first, that means above all else and before all else, we can have hope. We can have hope. Now, I really do. I wish that I could stand up here and tell you today that as long as you seek God first, nothing bad will ever happen to you. But I can't say that. You know that I can't say that. But what I can say is this. When you seek Him first, you can know that He is always with you, walking beside you, stepping in faith with you. And the band can come out and get ready to play because I'm about done. J.D. Greer, in his book, Not God Enough, says this. He says, In many cases, we have to live out our days not knowing the precise reason for terrible events. But the cross shows us what they cannot mean. They cannot mean that God is absent or out of control. We can have hope. You can have hope when you feel uncertain about tomorrow because you know that God is with you. He came down to us so that he could be with us. Jesus died on the cross. Uh, one of the reasons he died on the cross was to bridge the gap between us and God so that we would know that God hears our prayers. We can be reminded that in the face of so much uncertainty, there are things that we can be certain of. And we can walk with God and He can be our hope and He can be our shield when we move forward in faith. 
I don't know what level of uncertainty you're dealing with today, but I want you to know that you can have hope no matter what it is.